Well, good morning, Valley Bible Church. It is great to see you. Thank you for joining us here on our online platform. We are so thankful that we are able to meet on this kind of venue. We're really, really excited to now jump into our new series, Into the Gospel of John. This journey is going to take us to the end of the year and even beyond. And the reason we're really so excited about this series, we've been planning it, we've been praying about it, we've been talking about it, and and we finally kind of packaged it and put it together. And now we're going to embark on this great journey through the Gospel of John. And the reason we're really excited about this is because it, it really is out of the birth of our mission statement that we're making this journey. See, the mission of Valley Bible Church, as stated uh, from our past and is still current with us, is our mission is to know Jesus personally and to share his love passionately. We want to know Jesus personally, like a close friend, like, like we sang about, and we want to share his love, share his love passionately. Well, how can we do that? How can we do this, this knowing and sharing? How can we accomplish that mission? Well, we looked last week and saw a promise from Jesus that he gave to his first century followers. In fact, the first of his followers, he said, if you follow me, I will make you a fisher of men. See, if you follow me, come know me, and I'm going to help you share my love, my love with the world. So that's what we're doing. The reason we're journeying through the Gospel of John is because we want to follow Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, here's what we think we're going to see. We're going to see how Jesus is going to transform us into people who can better share his love. What we're calling the first part of this series to the Gospel of John is the sent ones. Really, this is the first chapter of the Gospel of John that really focuses on how Jesus is sent from God, but also how Jesus sends us into the world. The Father has sent Jesus to execute his rescue plan, and Jesus is going to send his followers, which includes us, to share this rescue plan. Now, as we start this journey, let's just take that idea of rescue. What do we need to be rescued from? Well, in the Gospel of John, what he kind of unpacks for us is that our state is one that's really, well, really bad. It's, It's not good news. We are surrounded by darkness. We are in a darkness that, that we can't see where to go. And we're like fighting in this darkness and we can't see how to win. We, we find ourselves, if you think of it, like being in a fight in a dark room. Uh, we try to put our guard up, but somebody hits us from behind and then they hit us from the front and then they hit us from the side. And we're fighting this enemy that we can't see. And this darkness has paralyzed our sense of, of ability to win, our sense of ability to fight. And so we feel like we're losing I think many of us feel this way when it comes to this virus. We, we have this enemy that we can't see, this, this enemy that we feel like we can't win against. We, we can't see it. We, we don't know it. We don't know who has it. We don't know who does not have it. We, we may know somebody who doesn't know they have it, but they do have it. And so we feel like, where is this thing? Is it, is it on my shoes? Is it, is it on my clothes? Is it in my hair? Is it on my groceries? And we get paralyzed by this kind of paranoia because we feel like we're swinging in the dark. Not knowing if we're making contact, not knowing if we're winning, we are paralyzed by this kind of enemy we can't see. We're paralyzed in this darkness. Well, John describes this as the state that we're in. We are in a darkness, all of us spiritually. And this darkness has paralyzed us. This darkness has blinded us. And we can't see our way back to God. So how do we get out of this darkness? Well, John talks about a light, a bright light. 
the brightest of lights coming, coming to dispel the darkness, coming to revive our eyes, to give us vision, to show us the way back to God. Let me show you this in the first five verses of John's gospel. Let's go to John chapter 1. Again, what we're going to unpack and see is that there is a darkness that kind of hides our help. It, it, it hides our condition. We don't know how bad things really are. It, it hides us from finding God. We're in this thick darkness. We, we can't see our hand in front of us. We're, we're paralyzed by this darkness. But a light has come in, and that light is Jesus Christ. So I want to give you the big idea for this morning. Again, it's that idea of darkness and light. The big idea is this for this morning as we journey through the Gospel of John in the first chapter of the first five verses. The big idea is this. Darkness hides, but Jesus revives. Darkness hides, but Jesus revives. Our spiritual darkness hides the true nature of our spiritual condition. We can't see how bad things are. We can't see the enemy in the room. We can't see how to win. We can't see how to fight. We can't see how to overcome. But a light has come in. And that light is Jesus Christ. And he revives our sight. He helps us see the pathway back to God. He helps us win. So let's do this. Let's actually go to John chapter 3. And the reason I want to go to John chapter 3 is I want you to see how this idea of darkness is so very important to John's display of who Jesus is. So before we get to how Jesus dispels the darkness, let's look at the darkness itself. John chapter 3, we're going to read verse 19 and 20. Verse 19 and 20 of John chapter 3 says this, And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world... And the people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest their works should be exposed. Now notice what he did here. It's very interesting. When we think of darkness sometimes, we probably think about, well, it's the evil works that we do. We have dark deeds, if you will. But notice how John really separates the idea of our deeds and this darkness. He's saying, yes, those who do works of evil love darkness and they don't want the light because the light will expose their deeds. See, what John is describing to us is that darkness is like the environment that we're in spiritually. It's not necessarily the deeds that we do, but it's the room that we're in. It's the sphere that we're in. It's the location that we're in. It is dark. And we don't want the lights to come on. Because if the lights come on, then we really see how bad we are. We're exposed. We are shown to be sinful, to be sinners, to have shame, to have guilt, to have shortcomings. And so it says those that love the darkness... they. They don't want anybody to turn the lights on. We've become so accustomed to this darkness that we are more comfortable in darkness. We feel better about ourselves in darkness. We'd rather nobody turn on the lights. We we feel that, that, that our ignorance is bliss. I don't want to know how bad things are. I don't want to know how bad the sores are on my body. Just turn off the lights. I don't want to see them as they fester on my body. That's what he's saying here. Spiritually. We are sinful, but now sitting in darkness. And this darkness keeps us from understanding our true condition. It blinds us to the reality and the gravity of our situation. And it keeps us from finding our way back to God. There is a deep and thick darkness that is over 
all of us. It has infected all of us. Well, who will come? Who will come and dispel the darkness? Who will come in and, and, and speak light to that darkness? Who will come in and, and give us life again, revive us again, and give us sight again? Who will come in? And John's answer to that question is Jesus. Yes, the darkness hides. It hides our spiritual condition. It hides us from God. It keeps us from Him. But Jesus Christ, the bright light, comes and He shines and He revives us. Let me show you this in John chapter 1. Now that we have kind of the setting here of the problem that John presents to us for our spirituality. Now here's what John's going to do as he gives us the answer to this question of who dispels the darkness. He's going to first do this. He's going to introduce Jesus and who He is, His identity. And he's going to say something very grand about Jesus. In fact, the greatest thing you can say about an individual's identity is what John is going to say about Jesus' identity. And then he's going to unpack what Jesus does. And he's going to say Jesus does these great and powerful works. And he's going to list two of those works. And he's going to say the great God, Jesus, who created everything is the same Jesus who's going to save us or recreate us or revive us. The same God who spoke creation into existence is going to display that power again in our salvation. Let me show you this in John chapter 1, verse 1. Let's unpack first the identity of the one who revives us, who dispels the darkness. This one is Jesus He's called the word here in the first verse. Let's look at verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Some key words here. He starts off, he says, in the beginning. John already shows his uniqueness as a gospel writer here. Matthew, Mark, Luke, they, they start Jesus' story kind of with his uh, family tree or the story of his birth, but not John. No, John thrusts our mind back into eternity past. Before space and time and matter, before there was anything, there was something. And that something was the word, or that someone was the word. In the beginning was this word. This, this would go back to the first book of the Bible, the first chapter of the Bible, the first verse of the first book of the first chapter of the Bible. In the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth. This is what he's doing here. Is John is pushing our minds all the way back. Back to Genesis chapter 1 where God speaks creation into existence. His, his word brings light. His word brings life. But now he's saying that word, that character isn't a something. It's not just powerful. It's, it's a person. It's not just something. It's someone. The word described in Genesis 1 is not just an action of God, but this is a someone who is identified as God. Now, John gives us a very complex description after this. He says that Jesus was from the beginning, in the beginning, never had a beginning. But he is the beginning of all beginnings. He is the one who made everything, the uncreated creator, the beginningless beginning of all things is this word. But look what else he says. As if he can say more, he does say more. He says in this kind of neat little construction here, I like to call this the Oreo construction. If you think of an Oreo, you got chocolate, you got vanilla, and then you got chocolate. If you think in a literary sense, that's, that's what's happening here. You have kind of a statement A, statement B, statement A. This is what John does. 
He says the word was with God. The word was God. In the beginning, the word was with God. So you see what he does there. He says with, was, and then with. Now, in these kind of constructions, and like when we eat an Oreo, the best part of an Oreo is the middle. It's that wonderful filling. That's the idea here, too. In these kind of constructions, these patterns, this ABA kind of uh, 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 pattern shows that the, the, the main point is right there in the middle. And that's the statement that the word was God. Well, let's unpack both of them. The word was with God. What does that mean? We shouldn't take this as just thinking that, well, the word was, was near God, like he was in proximity to God. He, he, he was in social distance from God, like he was close to God. That would not be the right way to understand it. This word means more than that. Think of it how we use it in English. If, if you're introducing maybe your wife or your girlfriend, you could say, you know, I'm with her. What are you stating there? You're not just stating that she is next to you. You're stating that you are committed to her in a relationship. She is your girlfriend or she is your wife. You are with her. This is the same dynamic. This is the same understanding being portrayed here that Jesus is with God. The word is with God. He's in a relationship with God. Now think, those are pretty grand statements that that this word, this Jesus was from the beginning. He's an eternal being. He's a heavenly being. He is with God. He is near God. He dwells in communion with God. Could you say more about someone? Well, John believes you can, and John does. In that very middle, he says, Jesus, or the Word, was God. Now, this is just a radical statement here. I mean, you can't get any more grandiose. You can't get bigger than this. And you can't even get more blasphemous than this. What a dangerous statement to make. The word was God. Now, John is not saying here that the word was a God or that the word was divine. There's a perfectly good Greek word to say that, and he doesn't use it here. He says very clearly, the word was God. In fact, this is one of John's just most favorite controversial teachings of Jesus. He loves to speak about the identity of Jesus as God. In fact, the beginning of his book does it and the end of his book does it. We see it again. He, can't, he just can't help himself. In verse 18 of the same chapter, it says this, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. Now look at that sentence just carefully. No one has ever seen God, but this only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. You look at that statement, what is he saying? God has made God known. No one has seen God, but this only God who happens to be at the side of the Father, that God has made this God known. What a remarkable statement. What is he saying there? He's saying again that this word is God. John's going to end his book in John chapter 20, verse 28, with Thomas's confession when he sees the resurrected Jesus Christ. He says, my Lord, my God. What a wonderful climax. What a wonderful end to the gospel story. What a radical statement. Well, this statement would be incredibly radical, not only for us to hear and the first century hearers to hear, but for John, this first century writer, to write. Being a a Jewish writer, this would be 
a dangerous statement. See, to the Jews, monotheism, the belief in one God, was not just a kind of casual idea. It was a creed that they held with a deep sense of tenacity. In fact, we know that they despised their Roman conquerors because they were ignorant idolaters, as they would call them. They believed in many gods, this pantheon of gods. But no, John has one strict confession, an identity of his people. There is one God, one God. And yet this Jewish monotheistic believer says that Jesus is God, says that the word is God. How can this be said? This is one of the deepest mysteries of the Bible. Now, we could spend years unpacking what that means. And it's hard, if we're honest, to balance this idea. How can we balance that the word was God and the word was with God? How can we balance that, that, that Jesus is with God, but he's also God at the same time? Well, to us, our human minds, this is a mystery. We can't fully grasp it. We shouldn't force ourselves to. We should just submit that is the clear teaching of Scripture, that there is a unity to God, there is a oneness to God, but there's also a triunity, a, a trinity to God. There's a way in which God is three and a way in which God is one. We say that there is one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But here it's very clear that John says that Jesus, the Word, is God. Now what does it have to do with this darkness we're talking about? This, this invisible enemy that we can't seem to defeat, this enemy who's blinded our eyes, who, who hides our spiritual condition, who doesn't let us see the sores, doesn't let us see how spiritually sick we are. This one who has blinded us to our pathway back to God, who's made a thick darkness around us that, that is kind of like a prison around us that we cannot get out of. John is going to say the one that dispels the darkness is God, is the word, and the one who has great power, the creator God. So he speaks to the identity of Jesus, and then he's going to talk about the power of Jesus, the power of the word. Look at verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He speaks first in verse 3 that, of creation, that, that all things were made through him. Now, it's clear that we can see, if we're familiar with the scriptures, that John's background to this entire chapter, especially these first five verses, is Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 follows a very simple pattern. God speaks, he sends his word out, and life is created, and, and light is given. This is the same thing that John is doing. He says that there is a light and life that comes from this word. And this word is part of creating all things. It says all things were made by him. And not was anything made that was made. Without him was not anything made that was made. What is he saying there? He's saying everything that has madeness to it. Everything that has a beginning finds its beginning in him. Which tells us what? He has no beginning. It says everything with a beginning, everything with madeness, everything that was made was made in him, meaning he was not made. He's the beginning of all things. Look at this kind of pattern, though, in Genesis chapter 1. 
Look, look Genesis chapter 1. Let's just, let's just see how it so mimics what John is doing in John chapter 1. Again, God sends out his word and life and light come out. Look, look at verse 1 of Genesis chapter 1. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, and the darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light And there was light. God spoke and light pushed away the darkness that was covering the land. God's word goes out. And not only does light come, but life comes. If you look in verse 11 of Genesis chapter 1, it says, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. He speaks And the vegetation comes. Jump to verse 20. And God said, Let the water swarm with the swarms of living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. Verse 24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth uh, living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and the beasts of the earth according to their kinds. Again, God speaks, and first light came, and then life came. Just, just stop here and see this. This is, is so interesting how we contrast what's happening in Genesis 1 with the, with the ancient world's kind of accounts of creation. We see utter chaos in many of the ancient stories of how things were created. We see stories of, of before everything was created, the gods were created, which clearly is not what's being said here. God was in the beginning. Before everything started, God was there before that. Hard to understand, but that's what the scriptures say. Same thing that John is saying. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Right there, there was something before there was anything. So there is no idea of how God was created or how God was made. Again, he's the, he's the unmade maker. He's the uncaused cause of all things. He has no beginning, but he is the beginning of all things. But we also see in the ancient world, we see this kind of chaos in creation. We have stories and accounts of violent wars that bring about humanity. Gods being torn apart and their blood falling on the ground and and, and human beings coming out of that. I mean, it's really kind of dark and chaotic. Violent energy being displayed out and then there's creation, but not in Genesis. No, it's simply God speaks. Now think of that. That is the easiest action we could do. To speak. Right? To talk the talk. Maybe you've been in a conflict before and you've used that phrase. Maybe, maybe somebody is trying to be uh, aggressive with you. right? And you say, okay, put your money where your mouth is. Okay, you're talking, but let's see you walk the walk. What's the idea? What's the sentiment behind that? The sentiment behind that is words are easy. It's easy to muster up enough strength to say something. Now, to put your money where your mouth is, to back up your talk, well, that's a whole other thing. It's harder to walk the walk than to talk the talk. But here we see what happens. God's talk walks. God's words are powerful. He doesn't exert any energy. He doesn't strain himself. And yet he does what none of us can do. He creates Everything out of nothing. More power and more energy has never been displayed in all of creation 
by any invention of man, by any destructive force of man, stronger than an, an atom bomb, stronger than a hydrogen bomb, stronger than anything we will ever create or engineer, the greatest display of power was easy for God. He just spoke and everything came from nothing. What a dynamic sense of power. And John is saying this same power, this same power that created everything that we see from nothing is the same power that is set against our darkness, that is set against our spiritual blindness, our great enemy that we cannot see and we cannot fight. It blinds us to the true nature of our spiritual condition. That great enemy that has infected all of us, that blinds us of our need and blinds us of our way back to God, that has enabled us and we would say even spiritually killed us, that has left us in the grave unable to come out again. It is that same power of creation that is now working in salvation, that is now working in God's new creation work executing God's rescue plan for his creation. Look at how John makes that clear. Go back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Let's look at verse 4. And it, it, it says this, In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now these terms right here are very important for John. Life and light. We know that they're very important in Genesis chapter 1. God spoke, and the first thing he spoke out was the creation of light. And then he speaks out, and he brings forth life on the earth. Well, to John, these words are very important, but they're not just about creation. They're about salvation. You see, when John talks about life, it's one of his favorite terms. He uses it over and over and over again. He speaks of spiritual life, a life that we can have right now, a life that is uh, defined as communion with God, a personal relationship with God, spiritual life. He also speaks of resurrection life, which is life kind of at the end of days when, when God, as he wraps up all of human history, as he's bringing the conclusion of the story of redemption, he will raise our bodies out of the ground and he will reunite our spirits to our body and we will have a glorified body. We will be transformed. We will have resurrection life. That is a life for us in the end. At the end of days, that's the kind of life we'll experience But these two kind of concepts of spiritual life enjoyed now and resurrection life for the future are also put together in one of John's favorite terms, eternal life. Eternal life means a life we can have now, but a life that is also for later. This is the gift that God wants to give us, the gift of eternal life, perfect communion with him. We are alive again in our spirit to relate back to our creator. And this eternal life will last forever. He gives it to us now. And it will grow and grow and grow throughout the plan of redemption. And we will know perfect communion with God in a resurrected form. So life is not just about God creating physical creatures. It's not just about God creating birds and and, and land animals and fish. It's not just about that. It's something much deeper than that. Light is the same thing. For John, this term light is one of, again, his favorite terms. He loves to talk about the conflict between light and darkness. 
And the most often times when he speaks of light, he's speaking about, about revelation. A revelation being received by men. Revelation meaning information, instruction. God is giving instruction. He's saying, here is the way. If you think of it like this, it's, it's almost like a map. The destination on the map, that's, that's life with God. Spiritual life, resurrection life, eternal life, abundant life, as John would describe it. But the light is the map that gets us to that destination. It makes clear our pathway. It shows us what we need. It exposes our sin, our shame, our guilt, our problem, our condition. And it shows us how we can get out of that through the plan of God. This is what John is talking about. He's taking these creation kind of themes and words and saying, see this great display when God made everything? Just look at the expanse of the sky. Look at the stars. Look at how God has intricately made every single part of the seashore. Look at all the beautiful colors of creation, the vastness of space, even the things we cannot see. We, we can only imagine the planets, the, the quasars and the black holes, the vast universe that we've yet begun to explore, even the depths of our oceans that we have not yet seen. What a great display of power. Every time you look at creation, you should think, that power is working on my behalf. That power is working again. That power is working to destroy the darkness that binds my soul, that blinds me from God, that blinds me on how to relate to God, that enables me, disables me from from doing anything to to move toward God. That's what he's saying here. We see another hint of this, that that John is speaking not just of creation power, but he's speaking of salvation power. Look in verse 1. We've got to look closely because we can read too fast and we can miss this little nuance, this little change that he does. All the tenses of our verbs have kind of been in the past tense. The word was God. The word was with God. He created all these things. But look in verse 5. It says, The light shines in darkness, in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines. What is, that? What is he saying there? It's a present tense. It's happening now. It's not just creation. It's salvation. It's the rescue plan of God. This is what the Word is doing. He is shining forth now. He's showing us the way back to God, and He's giving us an opportunity to receive eternal life. It says He shines, and that darkness cannot overcome Him. This is a very rich word. One of my favorite things about John, the gospel writer, is he's very careful and very strategic as a good author to pick words with deep meaning. This is one of those words. The darkness has not overcome it. What does that mean? If you're reading another translation, you may get something like the darkness did not accept it or understand it. See, this word means to grasp. And it can mean either two things. It can mean grasp with the mind, kind of a mental acceptance of truth. I understand. I receive. I believe that that is true. But it also can mean grasp with the hand. It means to to seize control, to overtake, to overcome somebody. 
If you think of like a wrestling opponent, to overcome them, to lay them down on the mat, to, to overcome them. I think what John is doing here very strategically is he's actually speaking of both of those meetings. Both of those meetings. And I think we could see this unpacked easily. Let's take, take that first one I mentioned. To grasp with a mind, to understand, to accept as true, to receive. When we look at verse 11 in this chapter, and look at what it says here. It says, he came to his own, this is Christ, the word coming to his own, and his own people did not receive him. They rejected him. They did not accept his claims as true. Well, this really makes sense with the rest of what we see in the gospel. We see as the gospel unfolds that Jesus you would think with all this display of great power would be very popular. It's true he does have some popularity, but what's so shocking is his opposition. That the religious leaders, those who knew all the prophecies about Jesus, who had read the Old Testament over and over and over again, all the stuff before Jesus, they don't receive him. They don't accept him. They set their minds against him. They say, no, we will not accept this. But that other idea is also very prevalent. To set our hands against, to overcome, to try to restrain, to grasp and control. This is how John uses that term in John chapter 11. Or sorry, John chapter 12. He uses that same word, this same word, and it's better understood there as overcome. Well, this makes sense. Because as we'll see as we journey through the gospel of John, that conflict is one of the main themes of John conflict, that there is this kind of battle between light and darkness. What also makes sense when it comes to what we know of the opposition that's placed against Jesus. They do not accept him. They do not receive him. They reject him with the mind. But what does that lead to? It leads to a rejection with the hand. They, they push him away with their minds and then they, they, they set their hands against him. They crucify him. They commit violence against him. They don't receive him intellectually and then they oppress him physically. But what does John say? The darkness cannot overcome it. This light is too bright. The opposition is not even strong enough. This is the God who spoke everything from nothing. The God who has exerted such power that we have never ever seen before. We've never even matched before. And yet he does it with ease. He just speaks it. The simplest of actions that we can understand as a human being gives us the greatest display of power that we could ever know. And it's this God who cannot be opposed, who shines so incredibly bright to set violence against him, to try to crucify him, will only be overcome by his resurrection. It's futile. You can't stop this light from shining. Who overcomes the darkness? Christ does. Who overcomes the darkness? This word. This word who is God overcomes our darkness. And it's true. We love our darkness. We do. We love to hide our sin and our shortcomings from ourselves and from our friends and family members. We love to hide our sins from others. We all have shame. We all have regrets. We all have moments that we hope nobody will ever see. We all have thoughts that we hope will never be displayed before anybody. But when the light comes, it does something very, very painful. 
It shows us all of those shortcomings. All of those sins. All of our shame. Our darkest secrets right there in front. And it's hard to sit under that kind of beam of light. That, that, that kind of scrutiny. To, to see such brilliant light just display every shortcoming, every sense of brokenness. But it's exactly what we need. Our wounds are too deep to heal in darkness. We need the light as much as it hurts. Our ignorance to our condition is not our friend. It is not bliss. It's killing us. This darkness, hiding our shame, hiding our sin, not being honest with ourselves, is killing us. Darkness hides, but Jesus revives. He helps us see again, see where we're missing it. Know where our shortcomings are, our brokenness is, where we need healing, our hurts, our hang-ups, all of those things. And yes, it is a dangerous thing to come into that light. But it is in that light, as you see everything displayed before you, you see everything taken away from you. This is the beauty of that light. And it also gives life. All the deadness that it exposed, all the rot, all the festering sin, all the decay, when the light shows and shines over that darkness, it takes it all away and brings life. So what does that mean for us today? What does that mean for you this week? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to do this. Based on this passage, I want to encourage you to do something very, very simple. I want to encourage you to let Jesus shine. Let him display himself. And here's what I mean by that. I think as Christians, as followers of Christ, we do a very noble thing in trying to live as good examples. It's trying to live a life of high character. To show people around us just how much we believe in the morality that the Bible speaks of. And we want to live an upstanding life, a life that is above reproach. That's a description from Scripture. That's a very uh, good thing to do. But what we can't miss is that we are not the light. We are not this light that dispels the darkness. We reflect the light of Jesus Christ. And our life should be a great display that's true. So in a sense, we do give light, but we are not this light. We are not this life giver. Our lives are not that brilliant. And we can't give spiritual life. We have to let Jesus shine. I think oftentimes what we do in our Christian kind of witness and our attempt to share Christ's love is that we just try to live that good life before them and wait for them to come to us. Now, again, I think that's a good thing, but I don't think that's the full picture of the mission of God. In fact, I think we would both agree that the most impressive thing about Christianity is not Christians, it's Christ. The most compelling thing about Christianity is not Christians, it's Christ. The most compelling reason that you've decided to follow Jesus is not because of your friends or family members, because you were compelled and captured by Christ. You saw his light. You felt that the life that he would give you. Now, maybe it was introduced to you by a friend or family member, but it's the brilliance of his life and his death 
and his resurrection that brought you to him. So my encouragement to you is let Jesus shine. Now let's get really practical. I want, to do, I want you to do this in, in one very easy way. Just, just one thing. I'm only asking you to do one thing uh, this week. Sometime in this week, I want you to do one thing. It's a very simple thing. It's a very easy thing. All I want you to do is ask a question. Very easy, very simple. Just, just ask a question. Start a discussion. Ask a question and then just sit back and listen and see where it goes. I, I asked you last week to pray for somebody. So just call somebody up who doesn't go to church with you and just say, hey, how can I pray for you? Man, I love you. I care about you. How can I pray for you? I hope you enjoyed that experience. I know personally I enjoyed that experience. Made a good connection with a friend and and it's going to lead to a further conversation, which I'm really excited about. What I'm asking you to do is this. Very simply ask one simple question this week to somebody who doesn't go to church with you. Here's the question I want you to ask. What is your opinion about Jesus? It's a powerful question. It's an easy question. It's easy because you know what the number one thing that people love to share? Their opinion. The number one thing that people love to share is their opinion. They'll give you their opinion on anything. Perfect. Let's seize the opportunity. Hey, I'm just curious. What is your opinion about Jesus? Just open the door and see what happens. See where the conversation goes. Maybe it doesn't go anywhere. Maybe it goes somewhere. And you can share, this is what Jesus means to me. Here's my opinion on Jesus. And then just let Jesus shine. Let his light go out. And maybe what they'll receive is eternal life. Now, maybe you're watching this and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're exploring this and you're exploring these ideas and exploring the Bible, but you would not say you've crossed the line to say, well, I believe now I'm a Christian. I want to encourage you with this. Jesus says some very sobering words in John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, verse 35, Jesus again is talking about light. And as he's talking to this group of people, he says something that I think is very sobering. Verse 35 of John chapter 12 says this. It says, the light is among you. He's talking about himself for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light. Least the darkness overcome you. Do you see what Jesus is saying there? This darkness that has enabled us, that, sorry, disabled us from seeing light, this, this darkness that hides our true spiritual condition, this darkness that, that doesn't allow our sins to be exposed, this darkness that keeps us in our shame, that it keeps us from the severity of our situation, this darkness that keeps us from God. It's a thick darkness and it keeps getting darker. He says, Come to the light now. Don't wait. Don't wait because the lights are getting darker and darker and darker and darker. And waiting is dangerous. Waiting to ask ask life's most important questions. Waiting to search into the claims of Jesus Christ. Waiting to ask if God is real, is the Bible true. Waiting to do these things is a dangerous thing. Waiting can harden your heart to them. Waiting can make the darkness so thick that you can't see your way out of it. Waiting is not safe. Waiting is dangerous. My my encouragement to you is take a step towards Jesus today. 
Maybe it's a small step. Maybe your step is just this is the first time you've ever viewed a service before. First time you've ever heard uh, preach before. Somebody preach before. It's the first time you've ever gone through a message like this. The first time you've ever gone to a service. Maybe your step is a very simple one, a very easy one. Maybe you just come back next week. Maybe you just tune in with us next week. Maybe you just sit into this message next week. I pray you make that step. But maybe you're ready for more than just that step. If you've, if you've kind of searched your heart as you've walked through this crisis, this pandemic, and you've heard about sickness and you're concerned about death and you, you've thought about kind of what's going on and all these kind of eternal things that are bombarding us right now, the stress and the anxiety of life has really forced you to think about the supernatural, has really forced you to think about who Jesus Christ is. And maybe you're that kind of at that tipping point saying, should I go further? Friend, my encouragement to you is yes. See the light, come to the light. Step to Jesus Christ. The Bible says if you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Come out of the darkness. Come into the light. Experience eternal life. If that's the decision you want to make, I'm going to pray right here just in a moment. And part of that prayer is going to be for you. For you, you can follow me in that prayer. I'm just going to kind of hold your hand a little bit and and just walk you up toward God and and encourage you to say simple words that are deeply meaningful if they come from your heart. If you want to start following Jesus today, you want to cross that line in the sand, you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ, you want to become a Christian, you can do that today. It's a decision that can happen in a moment that can affect your entire life and the life after. And I'm praying you don't wait to make that decision. I'm praying you make it today. Let's all pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you'd help us. Help us to shine the light of Jesus Christ. Father, we want to be a church. We want to be followers of Christ who live great moral lives in front of people. It's true that we do want to do that. But Father, there's more for us to do. To not only let our good deeds shine a light before them, but to turn on the real light. To turn on the light of the revelation of Jesus Christ as the only life giver. As the only one to dispel this darkness, to handle our sin, to free us from our guilt, to take away our shame. To remove the stain of all of our regrets. To reunite us to you, Father. Father, I pray that every follower of Christ, every follower of you, Jesus, who is hearing this, Father, I pray that they would help others to see just how brilliant and bright you are, that you are the great life giver. Father, I pray for all those conversations. I pray for courage. It's scary to start a spiritual conversation, it's true, but maybe a simple question. What's your opinion about Jesus? can unlock a spiritual conversation that could change someone's eternity. Father, I'm, I'm grateful already for the conversations you're going to give to our people this week. It's exciting. I, I get chills just thinking about those conversations. And Father, for those that are listening to this and they don't want to wait any longer, they don't want to be overcome by this darkness. They can feel it. They can sense it. They know it's true. They can see that the life that they've been living is not one that is pleasing to you, 
and one that is not truly satisfying to them. And Father, they see that they need you. That their deepest, darkest sins and secrets, if they were exposed, they'd be ashamed of them. They can feel the weight of their guilt. Oh, Father, I pray that they would run to you. Run to you and receive the forgiveness of sins. They would start following you. If that's you and you're in that space right now, you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ, I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. Again, it only means something if it comes from your heart. Simple words, but they'll change the rest of your life. You can say something like this. You can echo this back to God in the silence of your own heart. You can say, Father, Father, I see my need for forgiveness. I see the darkness that surrounds me. I see that my evil deeds are clouded in this darkness, that I cannot see how bad they really are, and I cannot see how deep my need truly is for you. Oh, but Father, I now see the light that shows my sin and shame. And I see my need for your forgiveness. I see that you've provided that forgiveness in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Father, today, I receive your forgiveness and I commit my life, my life to following you as my Lord and Savior. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Well, again, church family, thank you for joining us. Again, if you made that decision to follow Jesus Christ, I'm so incredibly excited for you, and I want to begin that journey with you. Please give me the opportunity to know that. You can find my email on the website. Just email us, email me or one of our pastors, and we would love to start that journey with you, get you a Bible, and show you how you can start reading it and really start to learn what it is to be a follower of Christ. Thanks for tuning in, church family. Thanks for tuning in, friends. We'll see you next Sunday.